0: There was one podcast I did where it was just like, they were like, what's it feel like to live in a marginalized body, to be a marginalized body, performing comedy. And it was just so like, they just kept repeating marginalized body. And I was like, just say fat, just say disabled, just say black. I don't know what, like, just say it.
1: You are listening to Made of Human, also known as The Mopod, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopod. Trying to. How to do life but it turns out Nobody knows. thank you so much for choosing to listen to my podcast it's uh there's apparently a rapid decline in people listening to podcasts at the moment because apparently people mostly listen to podcasts when they were on their way to work and since this is um This is released hopefully no longer than mid-pandemic. Let's hope it's on the. Let's hope that's getting better. I mean, I'm recording this a a week or two before you are listening. You know, before it's released. I mean, it could all be over by now. Or yeah. (laughs) So thank you for choosing to listen to this, even though there's a very big chance that you are probably not going to be on public transportation. Uh, That makes me very happy. I'd love to know what you're doing as you're listening to it, can you tweet me at Sophie Hagen S O F I E H A G E N and let me know what you're doing as you're listening to this, if this is still mid-pandemic. You might be in the distant, distant future, in which case, hi, this is how, this is, I mean, they keep telling us to keep journals and stuff because, you know, our kids will want to hear uh, what it was like during the pandemic, and, you know, wouldn't you want to hear a uh, what what someone had to say during the, the plague or whatever. So I guess this could, I mean, if someone was really desperate, this could one day maybe be played to a, a bunch of students who were like, what was podcasting like <laughs> during during the uh, that huge pandemic, which surprisingly ended late April and then everything was fine and they decided to not cancel Edinburgh anyways and... Sophie Hagen in particular was very happy about that because she was very sad when it was cancelled. Oh, very sad. Very fucking sad. I am far from the the biggest victim in this pandemic, but... Oh, fuck me. Anyways. One thing I want to say, which I think... Well, I've, the few times I've said it on Instagram Live, uh, a few people have seemed to feel very helped by it. Ugh, that sounds disgusting. But um like <laughs> I am Jesus I will save you basically a lot of you have asked me how I how I'm still doing therapy if I still am in therapy since I can't leave my house and uh yeah I am and I've been trying zoom therapies so therapy over like skype zoom and that has been something I have uh denied not denied refuse that's something I've refused to do for a long time we were meant to do it last Edinburgh festival but I chickened out because I just I just couldn't imagine being comfortable with not sitting in front of her but then we did it and you know what it was so much better it was so much better that I'm considering always doing that and you know what I think it is? My therapist lives about an hour away from me. So there's a lot of, I think I leave an hour and 10, an hour and 20 minutes before I have to be there, just in case. And that's a, that's an hour and 20 minutes of getting on the tube, getting on the train, changing to another train, walking a bit, uh, waiting, all of those things. And there is a lot of anxiety in all of that. You know, I'm out amongst people, there's You have to not miss your train. There's a lot of things that if you have a social anxiety, there's anxiety in general. And if you're in PTSD mode, which I always am, all of that. So basically I go into her office and I sit down. And the first 20 minutes is just me kind of recovering from having had to take that journey. And then 20 minutes before it ends, so 20 minutes later, I, I, I start to prepare myself for having to go outside again. And then everything we will have spoken about will sort of disappear on the way home because I'm in, you know, anxiety mode because the tube will be rammed with people because it's rush hour and then I'm home and I I just have to, you know, survive. (laughs) I just have to focus on getting over the fact that I was just in rush hour traffic and then it just feels like a waste of therapy in that case. Whereas now... You know, I'm in my safe space, I'm at home, I'm wearing my pajamas, I have my bottle of water, my hot chocolate, whatever, I'm alone, and I just press the link she sends me, and then we start talking, and I'm in a very safe space, and actually the, the two times we've done it till now have been the most uh, productive, the most interesting and like we've we've never gotten this far before on, in such a quick um, period of time. So if you're nervous about it, like I would have been like I was. I did cancel the first one because I was so scared. I would recommend that you try it because it's amazing. Because then we'd have the hour of chat. I exit the conversation and then I'm just in my own space and I can process everything we talked about. And I am so grateful for that. So there's a piece of advice. Not that you asked for it, but here we are. I will now let you listen to my conversation with Danielle Perez. She is, I am so happy she said yes to do. I am so happy she said yes to doing this. She's an LA comedian. I first heard about her on the podcast called She's All Fat, which is also an LA-based podcast, mostly about fatness and body positivity. And they interviewed uh, Danielle very briefly, and I was like, who is this? I love her so much, and you will too, because fuck me. She, um, I mean, I'm not, she, you know, she'll tell you everything there is to, to know about her uh, in this conversation, so I I'm, what I'm saying is she needs no introduction, because she's about to introduce herself. Um, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation so thank you so much for listening even though um, uh, statistically you shouldn't be (laughs) let me know where you're listening from and now please enjoy my conversation with the amazing 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 Danielle Perez first of all for the people who might not know who you are do you want to introduce yourself
0: Oh, sure. My name is uh, Danielle Perez. I'm a comedian, actor and writer based in Los Angeles, California.
1: Amazing. And for the people who listen in the distant, distant future, this (laughs) is recorded uh, just context wise. This is during the coronavirus pandemic and we're sort of in the, what do you think, beginning of it?
0: I feel like we're in the beginning of it I mean this is day I went into quarantine on the 12th of March so this is now my one two, fourteen. 14 oh my god it's the
1: 29th <laughs> like,
0: what's math uh 17 days
1: wow and what what are you doing are you self-isolating are you alone
0: I'm with my roommates. I have two roommates. They also understand the gravity of this. So um, luckily, you know, the only shared spaces are the kitchen and the living room. And we have space, but it's still, you know, it's a little tight. (laughs) But they've been awesome about going to the grocery store and making sure we have supplies. But even that, you know, some people are acting like, oh, you just go out every day. And it's like, no, there's one day a week. You got the big list of things we want to need. And hopefully we can get it done that one
1: day. And how are you coping with it? How are you feeling? I don't know. I've been cycling.
0: I, <laughs> at first, I feel like that first week I was really just like, okay, this is what we got to do. We got to just stay calm and like, grit your teeth and get through it, you know, kind of like in a panic, I, uh in a, in a crisis, I feel like I'm a very calm person. But this is so prolonged. I started to just get sad because then it's like, okay, well, I know what we're doing. I'm just being at home. And then I got really sad. I got a UTI from my antibiotics. Not a UTI. I got a, I got a yeast infection. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, my roommate, true. she was really great and she got me a monistat. But it was like, of all the things right now, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the world is falling apart as we know it. And now I have a yeast infection. <laughs>
1: it's something so small but yet so big like in the grand scheme of
0: things I know and but then I I you know I'm not so sad anymore but now I'm just mad now I'm really furious about just I mean it's like I don't want to say his name it's so gross I feel like it gives him power every time he hears his name but it's like our federal government just they've been in such denial about this and about preparing us. And it's like, you know, you guys want to talk about make America great again and America's number one. And it's like, then why was your response to this? Just so botched.
1: Yeah. And
0: then now there's all this talk about reopening and America wanting to be open for business. And it's like, you need to take care of the people that live here. Because this is nowhere near to being over. I'm it- like, I have asthma. So it's like, yeah. I'm already a high risk. Like I had pneumonia at the beginning of the year. I was already like, I had, uh, it was being like treated for bronchitis at the end of February. It's like, I am high risk. I'm also disabled. So part of my whole deal is like, there are not enough resources. We already know that our health system is, it just has a shortage of respirators and PPE. Um, I think it's like called PPE, like the gloves and masks and all that. It's like, if I'm disabled and fat and Afro Latina, you know, black presenting and show up to a hospital there, I'm not priority. Number one, I just am not going to
1: be. So <laughs> how do you cope? What's your, what are your coping, coping mechanisms? <laughs> like just what do you usually, <laughs> are, are you psychologically prepared for toughness? Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I am psychologically prepared for toughness. I don't know, because now there's like uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people sharing kind of like what their symptoms are and what they feel like and what it feels like have uh, COVID nineteen, and a lot of people it's like I felt like I was hit by a bus or a train, and I was like, oh well, I was hit by a train, and I have pneumonia, so I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> Part of me is like, if I can survive losing my legs. <laughs> and doing stand-up comedy in Los Angeles for five and a half years I think I <laughs> just mentally
1: <laughs> the sickness and abuse of just putting yourself out there <laughs> uh were you were you already doing stand-up when you lost your legs or the, was it the other way around
0: Mm-mm, yeah I didn't start I I lost my legs when I was 20 and I didn't start stand-up until I was 30 right so yeah
1: so are you, are you sick of talking about your uh the disability
0: um well I I guess I mean like I know it's like you asking it's I get it it's a podcast you know
1: (laughs) yeah but I also I feel like it's the I don't know because I obviously I want to introduce you properly to the people listening because you know we're in such different parts of the world but I also don't want to be that guy you know Sure. I think
0: I mean there was one podcast I did where it was just like they were like, what's it feel like to live in a marginalized body, to be a marginalized body performing comedy? And it was just so like they just kept repeating marginalized body and I was like, just say fat, just say disabled, just, yeah, yeah. just say black. I don't know what, like just say it, because it's so that felt way worse.
1: I know. When I when I do I often do uh interviews where they you can see the journalists getting really like and they'll go, so you are um Um, you, so you, you said yourself that you were fat, you know, a large, a bigger, you know, like a a larger girl. (laughs) You are (laughs) of size. Um, Yes.
0: I mean, yeah, it's part of, it's part of me, but I think when it's the only thing Mm -hmm. or, I think that's the thing is like, I'll, you know, before this, when we were still having panels and <laughs> conferences and things <laughs> in real life, um, you know, I could tell when someone was interested in me because I'm a comedian or what I have to say. And when it was more just tokenism and it's like, mm. oh, we need to, you know, oh, we need black people and brown people and disabled people now. So I guess this person who
1: has nothing to do with what we're talking about will do. I've had you talk about comedy and it makes me, makes me so happy. I heard you say uh, it was some, and now I'm just going to put words into your mouth. There's something about how if people are not obsessed with doing comedy, what are you even doing? And I was like, it was just something so, like hearing you be so passionate about it and I was like oh yes you're a comedian do you know what I mean
0: yeah yeah definitely I mean I still feel that way it's it's wild because this is uh, the way the world is and the way comedy works is like you do it in live in front of people and you get up every night and you go to these shitty open mics and there's only other comics there and to get you an acknowledgement that you're on stage performing it's like there's something there (laughs) but it is yeah you have to have like this sickness where you're obsessed with it you just keep putting yourself out there every night and now you can't do that I mean you just it's for better or worse I'm not beating myself up about not You know, there's a lot of people organizing Zoom open mics and virtual and digital shows. I'm doing one tonight. I'm excited. I'm thankful to be asked to do stuff, but I'm not going to, like, kill myself trying to, like, I need to get these sets in. I need to, you know, I need to go out every day on Zoom (laughs) and and do stand-up comedy. (laughs) It's just, I, I can... I can focus on other things. Thankfully, you know, like I'm a stand up, but I'm also a writer, I'm also an actor. So I'm trying to finish the pilots. I always said I never had time to finish. And I'm trying to organize. Like I did the CBS showcase this year, and uh, pilot season, I mean, was like cut short because of this. Like oh, <laughs> everyone wow. just shut down auditions and productions. So I started like a group, like uh, with the other people who did Showcase with me. We're gonna start doing like a pilot reading series. So it's just like us, and we do a few pilots a week, and we cast it, and we just like read it so we can just practice, like, I don't know, being at a table read or acting or doing something. And it's not for other people, it's for us, and just
1: something. There's quite a big difference between like stand up comedy and then, you know, acting. And I think one of the big differences is this thing of, with acting, you're often being controlled a lot more, right? You're being told what to do a lot more where stand up is yeah. like, fuck you. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. Which one do you, where do you feel the most comfortable?
0: Uh, stand up for sure. Yeah? <laughs> Cause I know stand up and I do stand up because I like being in control of what I have to say and just getting to own the space and the stage and an audience. Like I didn't, realize how much I needed that until I started doing standup. It was like, oh, my first open mic was at the shitty little coffee shop. And people were focused on me for five minutes. And it was like, just something clicked. Like, oh, yeah, I need this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just chasing that
1: dragon. Have you always, and- have you always, what's your what has your relationship been with visibility and being seen like throughout your life has that always been because like I I remember this weird juxtaposition in my brain when I was 11 and there was a school play and part of me was like I just want the lead role and I want to be up there in front of everyone and another part of me was like I want to hide behind the curtain and I couldn't quite figure out what I like which one I was Mm -hmm. Do, do you have like a do you remember like how you were feeling about yeah being seen I guess as a as young yeah,
0: I think that's you know I think that that informs so much of why I love comedy, the idea of being seen because I wasn't born disabled, I acquired the disability when or my disability when I turned twenty, so growing up, you know I'm a little afro latina girl, and I didn't see me on TV. I didn't see me in films. And even though I was really interested in theater and dancing and musicals, and I really, you know, I did ballet classes and I would audition for the school plays and stuff, I wasn't cast as the lead. And, you know, whether or not that meant I was talented or not, I don't know. But I do know that the people that were, (laughs) were white and blonde and blue eyed, you know, they were the ideas of what people thought of as leads. So it's strange now, or not strange, but I think it's a little vindicating for me now, right? To be disabled, to still be, right? (laughs) Afro-Latina, to be fat, I didn't grow up fat. Like it's something that I definitely became like years into my disability. And now I get to audition for things. Now the idea of being on TV and being an actor is like
1: not unreasonable. <laughs> mm. Was there a difference? And, with, cause you must've, cause fatness is something that always obviously happens gradually. Right. And then mm-hmm. you start to notice the differences between how you're being perceived very slowly. But I guess with, your disability—that was from, like, one day to the other, right? Or like, ish? Like, it ish. must have been a quite a sudden change of how you were perceived. I, I, I'm just assuming. I'm just. Oh, asking. for have sure. No idea.
0: Um, I mean, definitely, yeah. Like, I it ugh. before before I became disabled, I definitely struggled with weight, but it was in such a fucked up like the messaging right the messaging that we all get like mm-hmm. it was i you know i struggled a little with like bulimia in high school that i was never fat like truly if i looked at photos of myself it's like where did i get this insane idea because i was i was tiny i was like one, and i was not fat and you know my mom Oh God, one summer I was like ten. I came back from seeing my cousins. I like for the summers I would kind of go to Florida for a month and be with my dad's side of the family because they had a lot of kids. And I it came back, and my mom's like, "You just blew up! You blew up!" And she like took me to the doctors to get blood tests because she thought my there was a thyroid issue. And in my I'm like, you know, if you just look at me back when I was ten, it's like, yeah, she's a ten year old girl. She's fine. Yeah. But just so much of that stuff made me feel like, like I was ugly and unlovable and disgusting. And now that I am fat, I am the most confident I've ever been. I am the most proud of myself. It's like I have like real life goals and accomplishments that I've done while fat, not in spite of being fat, just like as a fat person. Um. So, yeah, I don't. I feel like I lost your question in
1: that. <laughs> no, I, it was more about the. I guess it was more about the the suddenness of the change because it's, oh, it's so yeah. rare. It's so rare that um, you know most change is so gradual that you hardly mm-hmm. notice it, and then you can end up thinking, "Oh, when did that happen? How did that happen?" But you you must have seen things change quite oh, suddenly.
0: Yeah, the shift from. <laughs> being disabled or not being disabled to being disabled was pretty wild because, okay, so I had two legs and also just like, so, I mean, it is just so physical, but I was in the hospital for about two months. And then I went home to recuperate and I was pretty much just cooped up at home in recovery, not going anywhere except for my doctor's appointment. And then the first day that I really kind of just like went out my dad was like, let's get you out of the house. Let's go to lunch. And so I'm in a wheelchair. I don't have my feet. He's helping me. And I could just feel everyone looking at me and just like those, like, what happened? You know, the questions in their eyes, oh my God, it's so sad. And like, I just was consumed by those looks and stares and that feeling and i hated it so much it it really it was upsetting and it hurt and i like realized in that i was like i can't acknowledge it i can't hold on to it i have to like let that go and i have to just put blinders on if i'm going to exist in this world cuz those feelings aren't about me those are other people's problems so i just have to kind of live in this weird hyper denial (laughs) where my existence is kind of the only normal one (laughs) and just get through. And that's, that's kind of been the only way I've been able to do it because it, I mean, just for the longest time people just coming, what happened? And it's like, I don't know you, you're a stranger on the street, you know, to people trying to push me or it's, you know what I mean? It's like an invasion of your space to people just coming up to me and trying to pray on me. I was in a pizza shop. I was having dinner with my friends and this man comes and he's like, can I pray on you? And I said, do you have to touch me? And he said, yes. And I was like, please don't. <laughs> and then he's like, I'll just pray over you. And I was like, sir, I'm trying to have pizza. <laughs> it's, like, it's not the time. You pray for the it's muscles. not the time to call in Christ unless <laughs> yeah. you're going to get us extra crazy
1: bread. <laughs> uh so but did you manage okay i guess my so it was
0: really i mean it's like you know the reality especially when i had like my sister and my parents noticed it a lot because they would be around me and they're like this is the person that we love and we know her and then they would see people looking and staring they could feel that too Mm -hmm. and that was upsetting to them right and now they're also just experiencing people talking to them instead of me when they mean to be talking to me. Mm.
1: How <laughs> but <is> it? it... <laughs> no, sorry. Go on.
0: Yeah. But things like that, like for a while, when I had new friends, that was always kind of a thing that they would have to adjust to. Like who just didn't know me before I was disabled was that, Oh, why are people being so weird to us? I was like, yeah, people are fucking rude. <laughs>
1: People are so fucking rude. I just, I, I wonder what what. So if if that hadn't happened to you when you were twenty, do you can you do you know what that has? Because you said the word you said, and it keeps ringing in my head. Was vindicated when you went up on stage, right? Yeah. And, you talk, <laughs> and I was like, what? You were talking about how you never saw yourself represented. And then now you go out on stage and you do stand-up. And a lot of people don't. And a lot of people would never, you know? Mm-hmm. I just wonder what do you know where that comes from? That um I don't know what is it? The the I'm a Taurus. I don't know that <laughs> Maybe
0: there's that. That's all I need to know. Need I'm to hard-headed.
1: Know. <laughs> it takes it takes a person, right, to get up on. To get up on stage. Like it, it takes a certain person to be like, "Oh, I didn't see myself represented. I haven't had a I don't have a voice. I don't see myself. So I'm going to do it," right? Cuz what they teach people what they teach you is that, you know, you're not worthy, you're unlovable, all those things. And now you're in a place where you love yourself and you're doing stand-up and like, where did that come from? That sort of I yeah. don't think
0: it I don't think the thoughts were like as linear or as spelled out, like in hindsight, I think I can look at it and be like, yeah, well, I grew up not seeing myself. I got tired of like waiting for my life to happen. Right. And I just like decided to do it. But I think, I don't know. I think it was like the perfect storm of I was working just a shitty random job. Like I was accounts receivable. That's glorified collections for you know what <laughs> glorified collections. So basically like I work for this water filtration and industrial parts supplier. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. In the office, they had a warehouse, but like I would just, You know, talk to people who had overdue bills all day. Just like, hey, Sam, um, when are we gonna get that check? Can I get the check number? When'd you mail it? Okay, great, thanks, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Just a real, you know, that's not a job you take home and like think about. It's just bullshit. And so I thought, like, okay, well, maybe that's my life—is having just a whack job and maybe having like a more interesting life outside of work where. You know, I go to like events around town with my friends and I do cool things. My best friend, uh, she was trying to be an actress because she had gone to like theater school. She actually went to, I think it's uh, Royal Academy in London. The one that Laurence Olivier went to. (laughs) Ooh,
1: the fancy one.
0: (laughs) The fancy one, the fancy one. I visited her one summer and that was pretty fun, but... So she had gone there. So she was trying to do like theater in LA, like hardcore theater, Shakespeare, real, <laughs> you know, a real woman of the stage, Stodge. And her roommate was a stand up. And we started going to a few of his shows. And by the third one, I was like, he isn't funny. I was like, this unfunny <laughs> man is up there doing this and it looks fun. Why not me? I can do this. He's not funny. I am. And that's like what made me decide
1: have you always it's been like, funny
0: i don't know i feel like all of my friends are funny do you know what i mean mm-hmm. so they make me laugh i make them laugh but it didn't it, i feel like you should be laughing with your friends yeah
1: do you know what I, mean? I don't but know if that but there's also funny and then there's like stand-up funny right because there's a lot of people yes. who do the whole well my friends always say i'm funny and then they go up and you're like oh, oh <laughs> no, yeah
0: I think because, I mean, I guess because I started it with such little stakes. Like, I know there's some people that when they're little, they're like, and I saw a comedian on Johnny Carson, and I've always wanted to do (laughs) stand-up, you know? They're like, I used to sneak to watch Premium Blend in high school or something on TV. And I liked watching stand-up, and I really enjoyed stand-up, but it wasn't like a huge dream of mine. And I think because when I first started it, I was just like, oh, this is fun. This seems like a fun, cool thing to do. That allowed me to enjoy it and not put so much pressure on it and not treat it as this precious thing. Because very quickly I realized, especially in like open mics, like I was in the minority. It was straight, white, male land. And there were not that many women, let alone women of color, and let alone disabled women—right, physically disabled women—and they would talk about stand-up comedians and their specials, like fucking sports. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they talk about, and it just—it was so clicky, and it was very much a—it was letting me know you're not one of us and this is the barrier for entry but it's like is not the goal to be funny on stage (laughs) because you're spending all this time talking about these like men and idolizing them and going over and over and over their specials and obsessing over it but I'm not seeing you write and tell a single funny joke so once I realized authenticity
1: right this is no it's like oh who are you trying to be this week
0: Yeah. Right. It's like, get your own voice, you know, like stop trying to do an impression of someone else and do your own thing. And I think also the fact that it was, I I was 30 when I started, I had lived a life. I had friends outside of comedy. I had a whole world outside of comedy that allowed it to be like this fun, cool thing that I could do, but that didn't like define me. Because for some people that's all they have, and even you know, and like obviously the more I've done stand up, and like now it's like my job, but it has you know I've had to work really hard to try to keep my friendships outside of comedy strong and give them like the respect and time that they deserve
1: too are you still at the place where because i I realized recently that i still i still open every show by and I still feel like I have to acknowledge that my accent is weird and I'm from Denmark, I've I've stopped having to, I no longer feel like I have to say I'm fat, but I had, a for many years, I had to open by going, and I know I'm fat. Here's a joke about it. But (laughs) I still do it with my accent because I've sometimes forgotten to say that I'm from Denmark. And then 20 minutes in, I say back in Denmark, and I can hear 80 people go, Oh, (laughs) <laughs> so you're oh, like, oh really? yeah, yeah. You were all wondering about wh- why <laughs> I sound strange. Clear enough. Do you um, do, do you joke about y- the uh, the disability or your fatness or uh, do you, is it something you feel like you have to do or is it something you mention? I don't.
0: I don't feel like I have to do it. I mean, I joke about it generally, just because my my stand up is is very much based in my life and my experiences. And so that's like a part of who I am. So, you know, part of me dating or going on a trip or, (laughs) or just, you know, dealing with, you know, the DMV person, like it's gonna come through this lens of being fat and like Afro Latina and disabled. Like, it's just, that's what's going to happen. I don't, I feel like When I first started, I maybe felt like I had to, like, really address it very quickly, like, with, like, a quick joke to just, like, neutralize the audience, like, you know, I know. How could I not know? (laughs) But now, lately, um, I feel, and I think it's just, you know, it comes with, like, being more confident in, like, your voice in stand-up and, like, what I'm doing. But I don't feel the need to, like, address it right away or even at all. I remember, oh God, this one open mic is when I first started too. Um, it was at this comedy club called the Ice House. But of course, you know, they didn't have like a ram to the stage. I mean, most of them don't. So my name gets pulled out of the bucket and everyone's like, what do we do? And I was like, just give me the mic. So I'm like sitting in the audience. Everyone's kind of awkwardly turning to look at me and I'm holding the microphone and I'm working out jokes. About like being on a cruise with like my mom and my aunt, my nana, and whatever you know, got some laughs. What? It's an open mic. That's like the whole point of it. And then like after me, this guy goes up and he's bombing, and it's three minutes and fine, whatever. Then he just turns and he looks at me and he points at me and he goes, "You didn't even talk about your thing." And it was like, "Excuse me, what, dude?" like, I tried to tell jokes, like, and it was just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who he was. It was like one of my first times at that venue. And then afterwards, he tried to be like, you know how it is, you know, we just got all got to talk about our things. And I was like, you don't know me. You don't know what jokes I have. You don't know what jokes I've written. I don't owe you that explanation. I don't owe you an explanation of like for my existence. I don't. And so I think like part of that, makes me almost not want to give it to you you know what I mean it's like oh I can just be up here and use my time to talk about whatever I want to talk about and I don't really need to talk about that
1: yeah there's you. there's no one as hostile <laughs> as a white straight man who's been bombing for three minutes uh,
0: truly that's they when are. they
1: start lashing out and they're like oh yeah oh yeah well you're ugly you're like oh wow <laughs> this must really have hurt you <laughs> yeah truly (laughs) can you feel like there's a in terms of like the reactions you get do you feel like there's a hunger for people to not want to watch just the boring old
0: alpha yeah oh very much so um yeah very soon after I started um Madison and I and then um we brought in Danielle Radford but we started a show called Gentrification and uh, it was a diversity showcase. So we primarily featured, you know, people of color, women, queer comics, disabled comics, you know, older comics, just anyone who wasn't like straight, white and male. We'd have the occasional, you know,
1: the token. Yeah.
0: <laughs> token there, but it really was about celebrating like the diversity in comedy and like the people that made us laugh that we just didn't see regularly performing on a lot of these shows. And, you know, I definitely started in more of like the alternative scene in Los Angeles, just because the club system in Los Angeles works very different than it does in other cities. Because like, you know, New York and LA are like the capitals, right? For comedy. New York is very much a club city. LA, the club's are all showcases and function to really just be places for headliners (laughs) to do showcase material. Um, So they're not really developing talent in the same way that a club in like Portland or Denver or Minneapolis would. So the alt scene is where you get stage time and you still get those headliners doing spots. (laughs) You still see great comics. So Even the alt scene, which wants to pretend it's more woke, you know, more hip, (laughs) more of the youth. is just a lot of white faces, lots of white feminism. (laughs) So we started gentrification and, you know, there's so many great shows. I mean, there were when the city was up and running. (laughs) <laughs>
1: Before, um, yeah
0: <laughs> that also that have that same ethos right you know uh, shows that pri- primarily showcase queer comics or um you know all kinds of women or just diversity and like are committed to that and because there is like an audience my uh madison madison shepherd she used to work in a sex shop she used to work at the pleasure trust in west hollywood And so a lot of her friends are queer, a lot of her friends are sex workers, a lot of her friends, you know, come from a segment of the population that doesn't necessarily feel safe going to a comedy club because they don't want to be singled out, they don't want to be made fun of, they don't want to hear transphobic, homophobic jokes, they don't want to hear jokes that are bigoted, just straight up, like, where's the punchline, you know? What year is it? Have you looked at a calendar? And um, I think that they're, you know, they want comedy just as much as everyone else wants comedy. And I think now that, especially because of the internet, you can find people that are going to speak to you and make you laugh. It's been really great for a lot of, a lot of people.
1: Yeah. I hear it a lot from my, my audience, the ones who are fat. They're like, Oh, I've never seen comedy before because, we're just always the punchline, and even when you feel really safe with a comedian, and you're like, "This is a feminist, uh, whatever, uh, politically correct, blah blah liberal comedian," and then they'll still do a fat joke. And it's <sighs> it there's something, and it's so heartbreaking for someone like us who loves comedy to know that there are so many people who just don't feel safe in that space. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean that's the thing that's it's uh, it's hard because yeah you want you want to like you want to like the entertainer that's doing a good job that seems to like be on your side and then it's just I think the thing that's heartbreaking about that is because it's so lazy you know mm. and so okay you're taking the time to really work out and be thoughtful this other material about maybe other uh, other kind of marginalized groups that when it comes to us, you can just throw us under
1: the bus like that. Yeah. But when we, when we make jokes about them, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> it's the people.
0: <laughs> I love how it's always like, can't you take a joke? And it's yeah. like, can't you? Oh my God. <laughs> Stop
1: crying, <mate. laughs> So where are you at in your life right now? Just, I mean, if we, if you, if we try to, Pandemic aside, yeah. pandemic aside, <laughs> pandemic aside, pandemic uh, aside. When let's pretend it's all over now. Where, <laughs> where, when are we talking in your life? Like, where are you at? Just like emotionally, psychologically, like also looking away from work. Just like in your personal sort of. I'm not going to say the word journey, but in your <laughs> my personal <laughs> my personal know, track, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um. Yeah, the personal journey. I don't know. Maybe that's what I should do during this pandemic—is figuring it out. I've been throwing kind of everything at stand-up and comedy and my career for the last five and a half years, and uh, I mean, my relationships have suffered with my friends and my family, my health, my. <laughs> A lot of things have fallen by the wayside so trying to get some balance in that I think is that's that's part of the 2020 goals that was on the vision board
1: you know <laughs> yeah are you are you doing any sort of um like are you in therapy are you I'm in therapy now
0: which I'm thankful for the last the The last kind of uh, three months of 2020, and then the first two were really hectic. And even just getting kind of like a regular appointment time that I could show up, that I would like be on time for and be present for, was so you know, it was like the weeks were just getting more and more chaotic. Um, but you know, now I'm able, I've got all the time in the world <laughs> to make it happen. But I mean, therapy is good. It's important. I definitely believe in therapy. I've been so in and out of therapy for most of my life, like when I was a little kid to high school and college. And like, uh, I'm, I'm, I I, I will chronically ghost on my therapist. It's not a good look, it's not, they don't like it. But I think a lot of that is just kind of being ready to like do the work.
1: Yeah. Do you know what yeah. needs work? Uh,
0: I mean, it's the priority prioritizing things outside of my career that define me.
1: Mm. <laughs> and why do you? Make is it that feel good? <laughs> why do you think you? I, the I mean, because one thing is being. I, th- I mean, I think I did the same. I'm still sort of doing it. But I think I threw myself so much at comedy because it gave me something that it kind of allowed me to have so much control that I didn't have in like my personal relationships or in my brain, you know, with my anxiety and OCD and all these things and the depression and all those things where comedy, it was so like, I can do this and I can just be myself. And that made me neglect (laughs) quite a lot of people. Do Do you know why it's become such a, like why the balance is hard?
0: I think also because comedy is so immediate, right? You can, it's immediate in a way that things like writing or acting aren't where I don't feel great about myself, right? I'm going to go to an open mic. I'm going to work out this joke. I'm going to hear those laughs and I'm going to feel better about myself. You know, you can do a show and maybe it doesn't go great. You can go to a mic right after, and like vindicate your, you know what I mean? It's like, no, I am funny and it's going to work. <laughs> but I think that that just like that immediate feedback loop of, but I'm okay because, oh, I'm getting all of the rush and all of the validation and all the lights are flashing green <laughs> from comedy that it's okay. That everything else is falling apart. It feels Somehow, like it'll make up for all of that.
1: what's your relationship with control? oh god i don't
0: i get, I'm like I guess I do like it. I'm like
1: <laughs> or you like having it?
0: I like having it i I didn't really realize that until oh my God, what was it the thing that I was doing that I Told I forget what it was, but it was like, oh man, I am. I'm sorry. I feel like I had just like the biggest brain fart. But like, I was working on something, and I was getting a lot of direction thrown at me, and I didn't like it. I was telling I was telling Madison about it, and I was like, I guess I just don't really like being told what to do. And then she was like, you think? (laughs) I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that about me. (laughs) I really didn't know that about me. Oh, my God. It's when I started doing colleges. I got a college agent and was promptly dropped by them. But one of the big notes I got uh, was, you know, they just get really uncomfortable when you talk about not having feet. Can you, like, maybe explain that or... You know, just like not, you know, maybe not say you don't have feet or dance around it. And it was like, um, okay, I'm a comedian and my whole thing is to make jokes. I'm not a TED talk. So if that's what you want, that's going to be someone else. But it just like, yeah, that kind of <laughs> hearing that response, like they just get uncomfortable. Can you explain it? It's like no, no. I'm not yeah, going no. <laughs> to explain myself. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just I like being in control. It gives me peace. I don't. Some, who who doesn't like being in control? That's wild to me.
1: Right. I well, this there's, there's like someone who's I okay everyone, with- I think everyone likes being in control, but there's the difference between that and then you know, not being able I mean, to function. Gross,
0: sure. I'm not like, you know, let's be real. I'm like very gross. I haven't like showered in a few days. Like <laughs> I haven't washed my hair in a very long time. Like I'm not, it, not that I live in filth, but it's like, I'm not a super type A, but I love a spreadsheet. I don't, you know, I, I, <laughs> My desktop is a mess, but I have a spreadsheet for every single fucking thing I've ever done. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) My dishes are dirty and they're piled up in the sink, but you know what? They're piled up and soaking. I don't know what to tell you. I just, I remember
1: being at, like, we were. I have piles of
0: different colored dirty clothes on the floor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Organized mess. When I was, like, 14 in my class, we had to do this, we had to make our own movie in, like, just like a, Class project, and I announced that I was going to be the director. And within three hours, I had fired every single of the other, like every everyone in my class. They just went out and did something else, and it was just me and one actor. And the teacher came in and was like, "What is happening?" And I was like, "Well, they were useless. They didn't. They weren't doing it correctly. So now I'm doing all of it. And I remember putting in the credits, and it was just cameraman Sophie, director Sophie, scriptwriter Sophie, and then like the one actor." And that's my like my main memory of oh, I think I've never been really good with um with working with other people and with authority. And I think I've always had a an unhealthy need for control.
0: I mean that to me just screams Artur. So I think you're doing great. They give away <laughs> Oscars for that. So keep at it. So
1: <laughs> I should send it in. Shouldn't I? <laughs> you should, you should. They're going to
0: need content. So <laughs> I really have to start going.
1: digging out, digging out the, uh, all the <laughs> old stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. During the, during showcase, the director came up to me after one of the nights, uh, after one of the performances. And he was like, you would make a good director. And I was like, that's not the compliment you think it is. <laughs> I, was yeah, like, I... I, need... I was like, maybe, but I could also do with more bedside manner. Like, Because <laughs> we were, we were given kind of, we were essentially told to kind of produce each of our sketches for the show. And so I was like, they're messing up the music cue. They need, I'm like, it goes A, B, C. I was like, they're stepping on the laugh. And then <laughs> We got
1: it right. Did you? Do you? um, Do you feel a uh, not a pressure, but there's this thing when you're, whenever you are othered and othering. It's like whenever you are anything that isn't a white straight cis man, right? There's this. You're just not the norm. Are you ever? Does that ever get tiring? Of like always having to be. It's not that you, you will always automatically represent, you know, be it woman, disability, uh, woman of color, fat. You'll always be, people will always look to you as like, you're representing me now because I'm not used to seeing me on stage. What, is that a position you like? Because it's not something we can't choose, right? We we just, yeah. just, because we just uh, people will always project things onto you. Is that a position you like being in?
0: And I don't love it. I just, I'm not, I can only be the best me. And I can't control what other people like project onto me. And obviously, I want to be like a good person, but it's like, I'm, you know, I have a DUI, I had an abortion. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm. Not like the upstanding (laughs) citizen that a lot of people want for this movement. (laughs) So, if you want me to be on a panel or talk about it, you're going to have to really hear all of me. I just wish that there were more of us, right? Because then that responsibility is shared. I don't want, I'm not interested in being the only one or the first, it's like, go talk to, you know, Tatiana, because she loves to talk about this. I don't, right? There's activists for a reason that are versed in this and like spend their life writing about it and posting about it, tweeting about it, and that are so much more eloquent about explaining what ableism is. (laughs) Or like, you know, they'll write a thread on like exactly what racism is and how it's systematic. Uh, you know, there's, there's people that are just doing the work in a, in a better way than I am. And I want to be allowed to pursue my craft, right? Comedy. I want to be allowed to pursue comedy, to pursue acting and writing. And by being allowed to do those things, that's creating representation. And that's helping in its own way. But like, please don't put me on your academic panel. <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's a perfect uh, show title. <laughs> but the the I think well I mean you know this because it's so obvious, isn't it? But I, like the reason that people are so, it's because people want you want to hear you say that because you say it so. You know, unacademically, right? <laughs> like they want they want like when you tell. When you talked about um, the first day out after uh, after your surgery, after your hospital thing, like that that's what people understand, right? People don't want to listen to statistics and clever academic words. They want to hear about something human that they understand. But that does just put you in the position of someone who mm-hmm. now has to <laughs> also cannot say anything that's wrong, even though yeah. we're all a bit wrong. We all do sh- fucked up things. We're all a
0: bit wrong. Like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not perfect. I only know what I know. You know, all people know is what they know. And we can't be afraid to make mistakes. And we can't be afraid to learn and grow. And that only happens by someone saying, hey, actually not cool. It's like, but then, you know, I can't tweet some of the things I want to tweet. (laughs) Send them to my friends and be like, I'm not allowed to tweet this. Am I? They're like, no, but it is funny. Uh.
1: (laughs) Do Do you ever send them again like two months later and be like, are you sure I can't because I really want to
0: that one's like that Like that one's just staying on your mind yeah. usually I move, I move on to something else
1: no oh, no I don't I, I circle back like it's what about now no. Just... what if I tweeted at like 3 a.m no okay nope. <laughs> okay I'm gonna uh I'm gonna ask you the last question and then I'm going to ask you to plug all of your stuff and then we're going to do the extra bit where I ask you fun little extra questions for the awesome. patrons. Okay. Yes. First, the last official question. Awesome. <clears throat> so you're in the delivery room <laughs> and you've just been born. So little, little tiny, tiny Danielle is like. Oh, baby Danielle. Yeah. And she said, you're, you're there as well, right? So it's you holding mm. yourself, right? and danielle was just in the womb and it was all lovely and nice and it was like warm and comfortable and mm, just being fed through a thing and everything was perfect (laughs) and now she's out right and there is lights and sounds and it's all just chaotic and she's looking at you like what the fuck is this is this what life is is it just going to be like bright lights and loud noises because that does not sound cool and she's looking at you like what what is this Now, you can't change anything. Like everything that's happening, uh, everything that has happened up until now in your life will happen again. Like she won't remember any of this. Mm -hmm. This is a very specific moment where she just looks at you. (laughs) You know everything that's going to happen and she's asking you, what is this? What's going to happen? What will this be like? What would you say to teeny tiny baby you? Buckle up, baby. It's going
0: to be a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) strap in (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's it I mean (laughs) you're gonna figure it out you know she's gonna figure it out it's sink or swim you know how to swim though thankfully so you got it you're gonna be great
1: do you ever ever still need to be told that
0: I still need to be told that I need patience is a virtue Um, that (laughs) I need to practice (laughs) But I think, you know, I don't fear the unknown. I know some people, like, anxiety comes from, like, fear, right? They just don't know. And that's not, my anxiety comes, I think, more from, like, not being able to control things. (laughs) But I'm not, I'm never worried that I can't handle it. Cause I've had, I've frankly handled a lot of shit in my life, right? Like sexual assault, rape, right? Like I was hit by a train I'm in, in the hospital for pneumonia a few times now, like I'm going to be okay.
1: Good. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Where can people find your stuff? Oh, people can find my stuff.
0: Follow me, Twitter, Instagram. Um, this pandemic's making us all act out on the internet. And every morning at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, I go live on Instagram with my friend Madison Shepard. We do that Monday through Friday, as long as this pandemic lasts. So. Uh, my Instagram and Twitter are at diva deluxe, no E at the end.
1: Amazing. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this thank you thank you no thank you so much to danielle for doing that i hope you enjoyed of course you did of course you enjoyed it danielle is spectacular also once uh, i'd stopped the recording danielle was like hey and if you you know if you need someone to talk to if you're feeling anxious i'm here and i was like that is the kindest thing anyone has ever said to me straight after and it's that's such a kind thing to do we're not friends but well now we will be because i'm gonna make her talk to me all the time and um oh so remember to go and tweet at her and instagram her and, and just thank her for doing the podcast and please also share it share it on on social media tell people about the podcast there's a surprising amount of people who don't know that it exists of people who follow me how can people follow me not know that i have a podcast i talk about it all the time so share it five star reviews five star rating all of those things would be uh, wild wildly appreciated And also, did you notice how I didn't even mention it in the beginning because I thought I'd overdone that? But there are people who signed up for Patreon to support me financially, which is a lifesaver, like literally a lifesaver. I'm going to stop yapping on about it because unless this is the first episode you've heard, you will have heard me like gush, like squirt all over you all into i'm squirting into your ears about how much i appreciate you and love you and, and how grateful i am and it's, it's getting a bit old now but i just don't know how else to to express my genuine um gratefulness is that a word gratefulness that's probably a better word for it anyway so i'm just gonna skip straight to it and um if you donate to my patreon patreon.com forward slash mo m-o-h-p-o-d and you sign up for five dollars or more per episode you become a vip so you become part of the vip list meaning i will say and butcher your name at the end of um of each episode and um i mean it's now become a thing where we have a little competition as uh which group of people with the same name are winning <laughs> and at the moment the, it's a tie spoiler alert i will say a massive thank you too also once one thing if you've signed up recently and your name is not mentioned, just give it a few weeks. It's because I record these intros uh, a bit in advance. You will be mentioned eventually. Just hang in there. Also, if you do want to be a VIP but you don't want your name set out loud, there is an option when you sign up uh, that you can ask to not have your name set out loud. So don't worry. Now, <clears throat> I want to say a massive thank you to Andrea Copa Rogan Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, Andy Walker, your Knoblog, Anna-Marie... Anna Marie Hebburn, uh, Aretha, Autumn Blue Sky, Barry Nelson, Caitlin, Kat Posay, Cherry Winter, Christine with a Y, Danny Beckett, Daniel Reifersheet, Danielle Johnson, Dieter Bronberg Brunberg- Jensen, E. Eleanor, Emily Bindi, Emma Chan, Emma Day, Emma Perangi, that's three Emmas, Felicity Tully, Dunn, Privacy, Soros, Aurora Teratops, Gillian Davidson, Grace Ann, Hannah Paul Smith, Hannah Rose Tristram, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minot, Helen Jerina, Helen Jarmack, Hee <laughs> hee. Uh, Holly Ritchie, Ida Sorgelassen, Joe C, Karen Hanlon, Katherine Norton, Kathleen Gulmanson, Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Kim Williams, Kirsten E, Kirsten Davidson, Chrissy Nicholson, Kristen Sylvie Franson, uh, Laura Ingman, Harry and Lily French, scrubbed all over and two meters apart. <laughs> Liz Cassell, Lola Phoenix, M-Dash, Maeve Houlihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Nicola Ellison, Tigger Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Finne, Rachel Evenheim, Rachel Furley, Rachel Phillips, the three Rachels, It's tie with Emma, <clears throat> Ragdoll, Ray, Rianne Rivers, Robert Knowles, Robin Cabot, Samantha Jolie, Sam- Sarah Allett, Sarah Plumer, Sophia Ramsey, Susie, Tyler, and Victoria Greer. Thank you so much to all of you. Now, all there is left to say... Is that I will speak to you next week. Thank you so much to Danielle Perez for having a, a lovely conversation with me. Thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode. To Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and this is to and to Justine McNichol for the logo. This podcast was produced by Dying Alone Limited. It was so good to talk, to talk to you. Yeah, why not end it like that? It was so good to talk to you. I will speak to you next week. Bye. Oh, bye.